or six through eight, kind of depending on, you can kind of look at it two different ways. But um, it occurred to me when we were praying this morning uh, with Charlie, Charlie was mentioning uh, the time of year that we're going into with, with Christmas and all that and what we celebrate, which is Christ's coming. Um, and obviously all that and happened after that. But uh, it's this, this passage is very fitting um, for this time of year in that we... We're going to see today, you know, the, the glory of God coming down to earth and what that, all that he left in heaven to be able to do that for us. So um, it, didn't, it didn't even occur to me this week while I was, was preparing. So, but anyway, good to keep in mind. Okay, so as I said already, um, we're going to continue in Philippians chapter 2. And I want to, I want to recap because maybe this is, I preach every six weeks, and so a few of you may not have been here when I did last time. So um, the, re- the reason is because the, the verses that we're going to see today, verses 6 through 8 or 5 through 8, are extremely contextual okay, to this letter. So we're going to slow down. I usually take probably a little bit more or a few more verses than this, but I really wanted to focus on these, these two today, so 6 and 8, 6, 7, and 8, um, and kind of like a smaller slice of bread, right? And uh, so with that said, I want to start right in with the reading in a couple minutes here, but... Um, I want to talk back through the context of this briefly. So then we'll get to our little small slice, like I said today. But this small slice that we're going to do today, don't think of it as like a Wonder Bread slice, right? Like a really small, like thin, weak, uh, starchy bread. Um, think of this as like an artisan loaf. You know how you see like the artisan loaves with the crisscross in the top that are real, real nice looking and everything, and they're full of just texture and grains? Think of that. Think of our text today like that, Okay. And uh, so you can savor, you know how when you eat those breads, you savor like the different grains and the different textures, depending on what's on there. Okay. And uh, so their text today, actually, when I was reading some commentaries, there, there are many uh, scholars that actually say this text, the 6 through 8, or maybe just a little bit after, is the pinnacle of New Testament descriptions of Christ. It's very compact and complete, but full of truth for us to savor, much like that, that artisan loaf of bread. Okay. And so, not to make you too hungry, and, uh, you know, when I was thinking, actually, when I was writing this, I was thinking, man, it's a good thing I didn't use this example on the time change weekend, because it would have been, like, it, could, it would have been 12 right now, and everybody would have been like, oh, man, I'm hungry already, and that, so it would have been poor judgment on my part to do that, but since we're a little bit after that now, um, maybe you're okay. So let's read our text for today, and uh, we'll continue in this letter from the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church. And uh, just realize that the previous time I spoke was from verses 1 through 5. And I want to, because this is contextual, I want to read that as well. So, um, so just pay attention to the context. Um, and I'll probably point it out to you when we split this up. But pay attention to the context, 1 through 5. And then we'll, we'll get into our verses 6 through 8. So if you would, please stand with me when we read from God's word. So Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with the humility of, of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. There's five. 
have this attitude, what we just read, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now here's our verses. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that's written here. Thank you for your son who's described here so beautifully. Thank you for inspiring Paul to write these words to us and preserving the words for us to read today. And thank you for revealing uh, yourself uh, through this text, Lord. Lord, I just ask that you help the people here to see, like I saw studying, just the, the beauty of yourself and your son and the relationship that, that you have with, with your Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, I just ask that you move again in anyone who may not know you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, so as I mentioned originally, I want to go briefly back through verses 1 to 5. I'm not going to take a long time, but I want to get us back up to speed uh, because, again, it's every six weeks on the context here. And so the previous time I spoke to you, um, I explained to you that Paul is following up at the start of chapter 2, where he left off, in a way, in verse 27 of chapter 1. So verse 27 of chapter 1, Philippians again, says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so when we get to chapter 2, this is like several, several verses later, when we get down to chapter 2, he's talking through, as I mentioned several weeks ago, how the believers are conduct, to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of this gospel, the gospel of Christ, worthy of this ultimate sacrifice, which was a perfect man dying for nothing that he had done. And you can see by reading in verse 2, that the topic is unity, and not just unity of going in the same direction or having the same mind, but truly being united in spirit. And as he says in verse 3, doing nothing for themselves first, but always putting others' interests above their own. And we saw here that it's described, like the, what's described here is the motives, marks, and the means of this unity in Christ. Or to conduct yourself worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? So there's, there's these, this, this kind of path that we're, we're seeing, how to conduct yourself worthy uh, in the, of the gospel of Christ. And Christ is deserving, so this, this being worthy means, right, deserving of our attention or our effort, right, in other words, to strive toward this goal. So the motives are mentioned in verse 1, right, having encouragement in the love of Christ, as Matt just preached to you several weeks ago, if you remember. Having fellowship in the Spirit with affection and compassion to one another. This is in verse 1. So these marks are found, so the marks meaning what, what marks you as a believer, right? These marks are found in verse 2, which are being of the same mind, the same love, and being united in spirit and intent on one purpose, which is the glorification of Christ. That's, that's, the, that's the marks. So verses 3 and 4 show us the means, which are basically commands, the imperative commands about how to live. How do we live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? 
So we are to put away, as it says here in verses 3 and 4, we are to put away selfishness and conceit, then regard one another more important than ourselves. And what I, what I said to you several weeks ago is when you really think about it, the selfishness is the root of all sin. So why do we covet? Why do we want what someone else has? It's to glorify ourselves, right? Why do we place other things above God? Serving them above the living God. We want to glorify ourselves in possession of things and not the creator. Why do we lie? We want to build ourselves up in the standing with the person who we're lying to. So do you understand? All of, all of this sin is driven from self-glorification. And so this brings us to verse 5, which I said was connecting. So when I, when I preached last time, I said verse 5 is going to connect what we studied last time with what we're going to study this time. So this brings us to verse 5, which I said was, you know, basically Paul had written with the example of Christ in mind, right? So have this attitude. Have this attitude of regarding others more important than yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus that will be graphically described for us in our passage today. Okay, so now we get to the ultimate example of Christ, which is verses 6 through 8, which is our passage. And before we go any further, I want to stop and make something clear to you guys. And it's, while there is imperative application for us, right? It means when Paul is giving us commands about how to behave and how to act, and we should strive to be like Christ, right? 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Paul says, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. So we are to be imitators of Christ. But today what I really want to avoid is you thinking simply in moralistic terms, right? Simply thinking, okay, this is what I have to do. I'm going to try to be like Christ and not really dwelling on why you're doing those things, right? Does it make sense? So, but thinking about, you know, so we could, we could look at these texts and really focus on how we should live, and we've done that. And it wouldn't necessarily be wrong today to continue in that, that kind of mindset. But I think... In verses 6 through 8, as you'll see, what we need to dwell on is really the majesty of Jesus Christ. And by dwell on this majesty, let me give you an example, okay? I was thinking about this as I was writing. So this will never do God justice because the creator is always greater than the created. But just in our physical, what you may have experienced. And the example is this. So picture sometime where you've seen photos of like Yellowstone or like the Swiss Alps or something, right? Or maybe you've been there in person just to witness these, these gigantic physical things, right? These huge mountain cliffs or, or things like that. And so do you, ever, do you ever look at those photos? Do you ever look at that scene if, if you were there in person? And do you ever ponder how they were formed? Right? Just move yourself from just looking at the picture to actually really taking it in and thinking about how did God do this, right? What did it, what did it look like a thousand years ago? So just imagine these very detailed scenarios in this picture, like what ecosystem exists within you know, the, the trees and all these kinds of things, the lighting and the colors that you can see. And of course, we could go on and describe all these things about these pictures. So are you starting to understand what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is, I want you to have this same kind of wonder in just soaking up each little detail and each word in our text today. And so when you look upon the, the description of Jesus Christ found, found here, Right? I want you to see this graphic detail in, in these very few words. Okay? And so there are certain passages of Scripture uh, 
that inspire this wonder. Uh, just as much as words can about Christ, really. Right? And Matt, this is one of them, and Matt's, I think, preaching about, you know, in Luke. That's why I think he went maybe three or four times in the same passage now, because that is just a really special, really special passage, right? Um, and again, I think this is another one of them. And so when you read these words with me, this chapter that we're studying together should not be read as just have unity or be selfless out of compulsion or to be a good person, see? Or to let your light shine before men, to do what Christ did. So we need to read verses 6 through 8, and again, the time after that, right, after verse 8, in the following verses, as really standing in, God, in, in awe of God's great love, when we look at the heights of perfection in which he stands and to the depths to which he sank to save wretches like you and me. So this great love from, only, from the only person worthy of love given to the ones who deserve it the least. So do you understand what I'm saying this morning? This is absolutely central to the gospel. There is no repentance in the heart of the moralist who believes themselves worthy of a perfect savior. You understand that? So with that said, let's read verses 5 through 8 again, and then we'll look at some points uh, focusing on verses 6 through 8. So again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So within these verses, I first want to, to look at the height right, in which Christ left. And then we'll get to, to get to the contrast of the depth to which he stooped. All the while, you're going to keep in mind that this is what inspires us, right? Without compulsion to live in unity and selflessness with one another. So first in verse 6, who although he existed in, in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So this verse speaks to the nature of Jesus and the sense in which there is equality between the Father and the Son in certain aspects. Qualities like omniscience, wisdom, truthfulness, faithfulness, goodness, love, mercy, grace, patience, holiness, righteousness, and jealousy, and wrath even. So this is the doctrine of the Trinity. However, these three distinct persons that are God do not have the same roles. I'm going to be clear. Because we can get, I was talking to Bethel when I was when I preparing the last few days, and um, I wanted to go through this just briefly, like the Trinity, because it's easy, I think, when we, when we look at the, the text, right, and um, let me find it here. Um, you know, equality with God and um, taking the form of a bond servant. I think we can get maybe confused about um, maybe this economy and the Trinity of, of how this is working. So I want to I go through that just a little bit so we're clear on exactly, you know, when it says equality with God, what is that, what is that actually meaning, okay? So the same, all these members of the Trinity have the same attributes, which means they're all God, but the way they relate and they interact with one another, another is different. Does it make sense? So I'll get to this a little bit more in a couple minutes. 
But there are two points here when we think about existing in the form of God. The first is Jesus Christ's oneness or unity with the Father. The Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are all God. Same attributes. They are one God. The second point is that Jesus existed in this text in the form of God. The word form here being translated from the Greek word morphe, which literally means external appearance or the form by which a person, person strikes the vision. But not as so to be changeable, do you see? So it's not like, don't think of this as uh, the way like Eric could turn into a grown-up, right, for example. Okay? Um... And so, basically, the way, I, the way I read this, there, there are some different opinions about what this word means, but I looked at the context, and the Strong's definition is exactly like this, and the context, there are only three in the New Testament, look to me more like a physical description of someone, okay? So this is like the God-man. So to the first point, we'll read through several passages from John in which Jesus speaks with the same authority as the Father, and therefore we see the unity between the two. Turn with me to John chapter 5 if you have your Bibles open. And you're going to hear a lot of John today because as John says in chapter 20, verse 31 in his gospel, that the reason the gospel is written is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So many of these references that Jesus, many of these references from John are Jesus speaking about his relationship with his heavenly Father. Again, the first we're going to look at today is John chapter 5, starting in verse 17. And so the topic is the unity with his Father. And Jesus said, verse 17 again, But he answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So John chapter 10, verse 30, we see this again, where Jesus says, among other things, I and the Father are one. So John chapter 10, if you go down just a couple more verses, verses 37 through 38. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So in addition to these verses, John says in chapter 1, which you all know well, in the beginning was the word, Right? And the word means Jesus Christ the Son in this case. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. So even in the Old Testament, we find Jesus described as God. Isaiah 9, verse 6. This is typically read around Christmas time as well. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, 
and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And so to the second point of being in the form of God, as the text in Philippians says, right, fully still God in physical form that walked this earth, talked to us, taught us, and physically died for us. So turn with me to John chapter 14. And this speaks of right, Jesus being in the form, being God again. If you had known me, so this is John chapter 14, verse 7 through 14. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has not seen me has not seen, has seen, or he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you do not speak on my own, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so even, even other than the apostles, it's even possible for people to recognize, right, in Scripture, that Jesus is the Christ. Right, Matthew chapter 27, verse 54, and this is after Jesus has just given up his spirit, Scripture says, now the centurion and those were with, who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. And so remember, you can even see it in these verses that I just read. There is a sense in which when Jesus is talking, he's talking with the authority of God. But he is granted or derives this authority from his Father. So this is what I was talking about with the, the Trinitarian relationship, right? You may hear the word subordination, and when you read about the Trinity, this can mean several different, different things depending on how people use the term. But in this case, I'm not meaning that the, the, that the Son drives any part of his being from the Father or is in any way inferior to the Father, but that there's a sense in which the Father plans, do you see, and the Son executes. Both have the same will, but there are roles that each have. So just think about the rest of the beginning of John chapter 1. He was in the beginning. This is Christ again. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has not come into being. And there's, there's, this is repeated again, I think, later in, in chapter 1. Uh, similar, similar text. Um, and again, so John chapter 8, verses 25 through 29. This is, again, Jesus talking. What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things... I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. 
He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So you see this relationship that we're, that we're seeing in the, in the Trinity here. And do you see the parallel in this passage that we just read to, the verse, to verse 8 in Philippians chapter 2, where we're studying today? It's that Christ is obedient to his Father. Look at verse 8 for me. Obedient even to the point of death. That death on a cross for redemption of a people that God the Father had ordained from the foundation of the world to his glory. And that's why we worship today. So, okay, there's a lot of material here, and I, I realize I just read a bunch of scripture, but, I mean, this is, this is Christ um, speaking, basically. Um, and so, you know, the point is that the deity of, deity of Jesus is there for all to see, right? Not only the apostles, but other people, right, after his death. So these claims that Jesus made are true. But the works in which people were, like the works in which people were healed and raised from death to life, and in which Jesus himself was physically dead and resurrected to appear before many apostles, these also bear witness to us and to other people. So this man is truly the Son of God in the flesh. And now here's the thing. Remember how I said we need to dwell on the majesty and the supreme perfection of of God to really understand this passage, to see the detail and the beauty in just these few words. So we saw how Jesus, the Son, is with God from eternity. And what did he leave to come to earth? What, what is God, the Son, privileged to? So Revelation 21 shows us not only what John saw in a physical location, existing, right, made of gold, clear like glass, Revelation says, Foundations made of valuable gemstones. This is, he's talking about heaven, the holy city. Needing no light from the sun or moon because the glory of the Lamb illuminates it. But we also learn from Hebrews that Jesus is worshipped by angels. And of course the saints that are with him. And there is no pain. And there is no suffering. And there is no sin in the presence of God. This is what he left behind. Emptying himself of his royal privilege as he, made, as he was made man like you and me. And so finally, when we get to the second part of this, verse 6 in Philippians, chapter 2 again, here Paul says that he, right, Jesus, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or hung on to. And so we can quickly put together from the explanation that, that I've said so far that even though Christ being distinct part of the Trinity and fully privileged to all the power, authority, and worship in heaven, which comes with that, he did not grasp or hold on to it when he was sent by the Father, whose plan it was before the foundation of the world, to send him. So in verse 7, we see Paul connecting where Christ had come from to where he was going in a, as a physical man. Down from the lofty comforts of heaven, the Son of God emptied himself of those things and using the same word morphe, this is this used again, translated as form. He took the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. And so what did the, God, what did the Son of God empty himself of? Right? And it's certainly not his deity, as some people claim. But he emptied himself of all the privileges, as I said, that, become, that come with that. Right? The comforts and the worship of saints and angels in heaven and the glory of the direct relationship with his Father. 
And as we see in his earthly ministry, there are glimpses and miracles from healings and his, even his radiant glory, right, in the, at the transfiguration, as evidence that he is not emptied of his divine glory. But a very important point to note is that he never uses this divine glory for self-glorification or gain in status, right, when he's here as a man. Instead, being made in the true likeness of men, which means he was fully man, able to feel pain, rejection, fear, and joy, all of the things that you and I feel, yet without sin and with perfect obedience to the Father. So in his verse 7 says, taking the form of a bondservant. So a bondservant at this time could own nothing. This is, not, this is not like you went to work at someone's house, right? This is, you could not own anything. Even the clothes on your own back, you could not own. Right? But Jesus did own clothes on his back, but Jesus did not own land or a home or any other thing that the wealthy may have owned. So he came as fully man, as a bondservant. And as you know, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And indeed, through his provision of salvation, he served others more completely than any man could ever do. Think about the space between this royal king could have demanded as God what he left and the life that he actually led on earth. So being found in appearance, as verse 8 says here, simply as a man, owning nothing. And this is what I was talking about at the beginning of this message. Think about the difference between where Christ was with the Father and and the world that he came to. How does God become man, yet retain all the attributes of God? How 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 does he do that? Think about what he was sent to do and willingly did. He willingly did this, becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. So a heavenly king, leaving the ultimate glory, shared with the Father to be born and brutally die as a man for you and for me. And as I mentioned before, think of all that means and how much we can understand it, even though it has been revealed to us through the inspired writings contained in this book. And now in the broader context of this letter to the Philippian church, Paul is making the point that I wanted you to keep in mind from the beginning when we started this morning. And that is the beauty and the intricacy of this plan carried out by God on our behalf it's represented so simply here, right? Think about how many words are here. It can't be more than 40 or 50, right? And he's including this, I think, because it's summarized, it's summarized so well for us here. And I was reading a couple commentaries I was reading. I think I'm just going to quote this, this commentary from Dennis Johnson because I think it, it really converts uh, concisely what I'm, ta- what I'm trying to say into an application for us. So from eternity into history, we should reflect on two implications for ourselves that flow from Paul's portrait of the pre-incarnate. And I think, this is my own aside, but I think also the incarnate. This glory of Christ. First consider the vast and actually infinite distance in dignity that separates the Son, who is equal with God the Creator himself, and who radiates his glory on the one hand, and the most exalted and admirable members of the human race. Think about those two. Think about Christ and the most exalted person that you can think of. Most Twitter followers, whatever, right? 
however we measure this worth, right, character or intelligence, courage, strength, influence, or some other quality, whatever you want to, whatever you want to imagine, the very best that our human family has to offer falls so short of the majesty of the divine son who is the theme of, this, of Paul's writing. That discovery prompts uncomfortable questions, doesn't it? Just how great do you think you are? How much respect and honor do others owe you? When Christ's apostle Paul told you to count others more significant than yourselves, did you find this instruction surprising or demeaning? Since after all, you see yourself more significant than many people. And and actually, they may see you that way as well. It's possible. Think long and hard about the magnificence of Christ that we saw written here. It will put your sense of your own importance into proper perspective and bring it way down to size. It will narrow the gap between your self-image and your appreciation for those whom you have viewed less significant than yourself. Now, how much more so does this mean that not only is there vast distance between the pre-incarnate Christ, that means when he was in heaven before he became man, but when was the last time you thought about giving up your life for someone who had despised and rejected you as your king did for you? So when I mention, this is, this, these are my own words, when I mentioned my previous time in the pulpit here, that I couldn't wait to bring this message to you. I couldn't wait for today, like, because I was, I was studying the last, last uh, verse 1 through 5, and of course I was reading further along. I was just dying to do this today. So this message is that the perfect Son of God gave up everything for us, becoming a servant. And so naturally, if we are to be imitators of him, we should do the same for one another. Do you see that this morning? All right, let's pray. Father, I'm so uh, amazed, continually amazed by your word. That within just a few words that you inspired Paul to write, you described your holiness. And uh, just what your son gave up for us. Lord, the pain, human pain and suffering, pales in comparison to the relationship that he temporarily gave up with you. Lord, that, a relationship that, that we will one day be privileged to through Christ. We are now through prayer, but it's not the same as being with you, Father. Lord, let us desire to live like Christ, but not out of compulsion and not just because we read that's what we're supposed to do, but as, as, out of true love for what Christ has done for us and a true love for him. Father, again, I thank you for this day, and I ask that uh, the words that I've spoken, uh, just let your glory shine to these people here. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Alright, um, so I guess now is our time of fellowship, uh, so I'll go ahead and pray for our, for our meal, and uh, I think everybody's a regular attender here, it seems like, so no special instruction. Let's pray. Uh, Father, again, I'm humbled to come before you uh, with Christ interceding.
Lord, and I thank you uh, for many blessings, not least of those is food. And I thank you uh, that we can partake in it. Lord, I thank you for giving us so many things to eat. I thank you for the freedom uh, to, to eat today, Lord, that we didn't have, that we wouldn't have had uh, under the old law. Lord, bless our fellowship today. Lord, may it be glorifying to you. In Christ's name, amen.